Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. One or two little things before we get going. I, I think it's important that you all know that this past week, Clint Arthur, uh, we took the chairs down, and he did this whole floor in here, cleaned the whole floor. Now, that's a big job, and he never, he never sends us a bill. He just comes in and works like a coal mine mule, and, and, and he won't admit it, but he's as old as Methuselah, and, and he still comes in and works hard. So if you see Clint, give him a big thank you because it really does help a lot. The other thing that you need to know is that, and I had no objection, I don't care what you bring in here to drink uh, during the, the service, but uh, coffee and pop, both really are difficult stains to get up. Once they get out, he just has to scrub and scratch and carry on and still doesn't get the whole job done. You all already know we have no water in the building. Neither most of town doesn't. They, it was on for a while this morning, and I flushed uh, the urinals and this other thing. And so uh, <clears throat> we don't have any trees close by, so if you have to go to the toilet, go ahead and do it. It's okay. When the water comes on, we'll flush, and I'll think of you when I do it for you. Okay. So it'll, it'll be okay. Um, we're in the midst of uh, <clears throat> studying through the book of Galatians, and we're going to be reading <clears throat> from the third chapter a few verses. And then I'm going to go back to the 15th chapter of the book of, uh, of Acts, because the, the, the 15th chapter and the, and the third chapter talk about the same thing. Two different authors, but they're discussing exactly the same thing that went on. And that's the, the first major problem that came up in the church. And the problem is, is simply stated is this, nearly all of the early converts on the day of Pentecost and then falling thereafter were nearly all Jews. And uh, <clears throat> there were a few Gentiles, but mostly all Jews. Then the Apostle Paul was converted and he started preaching to non-Jews. They called them Gentiles, which is uh, a, a nice way of calling them pagans because the Jews looked down their nose at everybody else, and uh, <clears throat> especially those of the, of the Pharisees. So then a big problem arose. The problem was, is Christianity an arm of Judaism, or is it something totally different? There were the Jews, especially the party of the Pharisees, who said, well, we think everybody ought to be circumcised regardless of whether they're Jew or Gentile, because all the Jews were anyway. This became a real a bone of contention because the Apostle Paul had been preaching to the Gentiles and saying, look, you're saved by faith, not works. Not the works of the law, because the Jews for years had thought, if you can obey the works of the Mosaic law, God will be pleased with you and you can have access to God. And now all of a sudden, we have a Jew who had been persecuting the church, converted, and now he is saying, you're saved by faith and nothing else. 
And so this became such a bone of contention that the early church ended up having the first, in, in all of church history, that was the first church council that was ever, and the question was simply this. Other than faith, is anything required? Anything under the works of all, anything in the past. And so, and it was really a bone of contention. And what made it even worse this, that there was a town up north of Jerusalem called Antioch. And, and Peter was up there with the Apostle Paul, and the, there were Gentile Christians sitting down at the same communion table and, other, and the fellowship of, between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that wasn't an issue. Peter comes, is there, and it's, they're just having a magnificent time together. No difference between Jew and Gentile. And then a bunch of, of conservative, orthodox Jews of the party of the Pharisees who believed that everybody ought to be circumcised came to Antioch, sent by James, who was the head of the church there in Jerusalem. And when they got there, all of a sudden Peter because of the, 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 the peer pressure, he then quits, quit having fellowship with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And the Apostle Paul, that just, he, I mean, he was a little guy. And little guys have a tendency to want to be big guys. So he stuck his nose up, stuck his finger up Peter's nose and said, you're wrong what you're doing. And, and Peter finally relented. And, but they had the first council. So let, and the Apostle Paul, anybody that bought into this thing, you had to do anything under from the Old, the Old Testament Mosaic Law and impose it on, on Christians. Uh, the Apostle Paul got all upset because he said, that's not the gospel. And when you open, in the opening chapter of the book of Galatians, and you've already heard it, but I'll read it again, simply to let you know how strongly the Apostle Paul felt about it, and, and he called it a non-gospel. Here's the way he said it. I'm astonished that you're so, this is chapter 1, verse, uh, I don't know, 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Now, the word gospel means what? Good news. Which is, really no, which is really no good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to, con to pervert the gospel of Christ. For even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally damned. Now, that's just like looking a guy straight in the face and said, you know, you preach that and you're going to hell. That's exactly what he was saying. So he didn't cut any slack. It's kind of a shame today that nobody has the guts to speak like that. But uh, th that's what the Apostle Paul said, because this was an issue that could destroy the message that Jesus came to bring. Now you go over to the, to the third chapter, because that's the way he opened the book to the, to the churches in Galatia. He says in chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law or by believing what we preached or what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Holy Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? The goal was having access to the living God, reaching God, getting God's approval. And so he says, have, have you suffered so much for nothing? So, and I could go on from there, but uh, I want to go back just for a minute, if we can, to the 15th chapter of the, um, of the book of Acts, addressing the same problem, and then we'll just go from there. Here's what he says. Some men from down from Judea to Antioch, some men came down from Judea to Antioch, and were teaching the brothers. And here's what they taught. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. <clears throat> now I'm just going to skip down to, to verse 5. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Now that was the question, if you read the rest of it, that they were going to debate. Now, The Apostle Paul really was disappointed in, in, in Barnabas because Barnabas began to scoot over into, and, and agree with Peter in these uh, hard shells that came up out of, out of Jerusalem. Now, <clears throat> we, need to, we need to think about this just for a minute. He's really saying, that unless you believe what he preached and is written down in the New Testament, you're wrong. He drew a line in the sand. Because you and I live in a day and an age where if there's a sign on a church building, well, that's all right, you can go, then you've been to, you've been to church, and, 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 and it really doesn't matter. Folks, it does matter. What you believe determines whether you get to heaven or not. Outward acts don't always cut it. Why? Because God doesn't judge by the outward acts. He judged by the heart. He knows what you believe. We don't know. You, we can't tell just by looking what each other believes. And, the only, and, and you see, they didn't have church buildings. They didn't have church signs out front. We didn't have a sign out front for years. I remember one time, it was after church was over, Janie Sharp came up to me and she said she had come from a, a Methodist church that had, didn't preach the Bible anymore. And she said to me, she said, I want us to have a sign out front that says Christ Community Church because when I go to church, I want to feel like I've been to church. And I said, so the sign out front will make you feel like you've been to church, huh? She said, yeah. I said, well, I'm, I'm really patient and soft-spoken and kind with people like that. I just told her she was nuts, you know. I said, because we really were close friends until she died, really. And, and uh, I said, Janie, <clears throat> they didn't have church buildings. 
They met in people's homes. They didn't have church signs. It was the fellowship in Christ Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit that brought them together and the preaching of the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? Now, everybody needs to write this down. The gospel is defined only one clear place in the whole New Testament. It's in the first three verses of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And it boils down in 10-cent northern Kentucky language to this. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Anything more than that, if you added anything of the law more than that, then it was a burden that, you, that was destructive. It leads to death. But the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when he says, you believe that, you believe that message, that's the gospel, nothing more, nothing less. You believe that, saved by what you believe. I, the word belief and trust and faith are all closely related linguistically. The word pistuo in the Greek, in the verb form, means faith or belief. And unless you believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins, buried in a borrowed tomb, and was raised by the power of God to live eternally, you don't, unless you believe that, you, you can't be saved. I don't care what else you believe. You've got to believe that. That's the gospel. And any change of that is a perversion of the gospel. And the apostle Paul said, it's so damaging that... As far as I'm concerned, you're going to hell on a skateboard. That's really what he was saying. So it is important what you believe. It is important. And he says so. And they had that first church meeting over that. And finally, they came to, and they, and they compromised just a little bitty bit. When the, when the council was over, this is what it says. Now I'm back in the 15th chapter, starting at verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat strangled animals and with blood. Well, <clears throat> I can agree with them on the sexual immorality, but the other two things I think they were in error about. And the Apostle Paul did too, even though he let it slide here. So next week, see, see Matthew figured is the one who's telling us now what we're going to study. And anything he doesn't want to deal with, he has me to preach. And, and uh, he's not a chicken, much. So I'm on again next week. And next week, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about meat offered to idols and some other things under the law and, uh, and, and see if we can get this whole thing clarified because it's really, really important that we understand not just what we believe but why we believe it and why believing anything else is dangerous when we stand before our God. Now, so I want you to go ahead and, and pick up your little uh, little idiot sheets and follow along as we try to get moving here because we've got less than a half an hour then to finish this thing up. Let's look at what the Bible says the law, the, old, the Mosaic law 
does to people if you believe any part of it. Number one, it enslaves. That's exactly the term that is used here in, in, uh, in uh, Galatians 2.4. It, it, it makes you a slave to the, to the rules. That's the reason why church rules are a problem. In many churches where you have the, the, what they call the bylaws, they become more important than the Bible. It's all right to have bylaws, but stick them in a the, in the safe somewhere and let nobody see them. Because people, they get carried away these stupid man-made laws. We're here to find out what God wants us to know. And that's the only thing that matters. And the only place we can find out what God wants us to know is in God's Word. So we study it and we try to translate it and to teach it in such a way that it can be clearly understood. But if you have a bunch of rules and see... And, 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 and when you have the rules, you're, you're, he says, you, you become a slave to the rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And you see, by human nature, all of us want to break the rules. Do you know why they make laws? Same reason that had the Mosaic Law. is because of people's behavior. Why do we have laws about driving cars? If there's anybody here who said, I've never violated the law, you're free to go because you can't be saved. You're just beyond help. All of us have. And, and I will admit, I probably have been, until last night, I thought I was the worst offender. A lady came up last night. She's worse than I am. But at least she confessed it. I'm the only person, until I met her last night, I'm the only person that I ever met that got two tickets in one day. And, uh, and I was guilty both times. And, and Alice Kay tried to help me. She called. I'd already got one ticket. I'd driven from Pittsburgh back to Columbus to see her. And then I was leaving to go back to Pittsburgh. And she said, oh, be, she got me on the phone and said, oh, be careful because it just came over the radio that they're stopping everybody, handing out lots of tickets. And my response was, you're too late. He already had his little book out doing his thing. She kicked me off my own insurance. I got 10 points, and she said, you're gone, buddy. We should have never allowed women to go to school, read and write, and start voting. It's been a problem for us ever since, you know. <laughs> They've got clear out of hand. But the law, these rules, the reason people, they have laws about how fast you drive and, and drinking and, and dope and all that other stuff is because it would be dangerous to even get on the highway if we didn't have them because we by nature want to do things that are wrong that's our no that's our we're essentially selfish and we and if you tell your kid now don't go outside and across the road and he's four years old that sucker will go right to the edge and he'll look back and see and he'll take one step on the road and look back and take another step by nature we want to break the rules we want to violate the law that's, that's the broken nature that we have gotten ever since the Garden of Eden. And so the law was, was given by God on Moses to Moses to give to the children of Israel because they were sinners and they need to be brought in line. It wouldn't get them to heaven, but it would make them a nation that they could live together under the rules of the nation because they didn't go to heaven by obeying the law. You know why? Nobody obeyed it. They all broke it. 
And the Bible says if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of it all. You're now a sinner. You've broken the law. Sin is, was, was defined in the Old Testament as a, as a breaking of the law. And everybody broke it. And that's why in the book of Romans, third chapter, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Not by the law. Can't happen that way. Then he says, if you live under the, under the law of Moses rather than by the gospel, you're under a curse because the Old Testament taught. Cursed is anybody who breaks any one of the laws. And since we've all violated at least one of the laws, we're all guilty of sin. And if you're guilty of sin and it hasn't been forgiven, you can't go to heaven. We got ourselves a problem. We're under a curse. That's what it said. Curses is everybody, anyone who breaks any one of the laws. Because now you're guilty of them all. Then you can keep on going. He says, if, if you live under the law, you're actually a prisoner of the law, of the rules. That, I, that's why if you've raised children, you know that they chafe under the rules of the household. They, they, they just rebel against it. They re, they rebel against the giver, which is usually the pappy. Sometimes it's the mammy. In our, in our house at home, mom was the lawgiver. Daddy was the enforcer because she told him he had to. Got the picture? Come on, wake up. It's the way it works. Now then, let's compare that to what happens when you preach the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's see what the New Testament says, how it compares or contrasts to what happens under the Mosaic law. First thing, if you believe or, or trust it being true of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're redeemed from the curse of the law redeemed from the curse of the law, which means then that we no longer will suffer under the curse, but will be released from that just because we put our faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. And he's not done. <coughs> I need a snort. He actually uses several ways to illustrate it. One is this. He says, if you believe the gospel, if you trust what Jesus did on the cross and believe that the power of God raised him from the dead and that same power of God will come into your life if you put your trust in Jesus, God will adopt you into his family. You're an adopted, and if you're an adopted child of God, you then become a joint heir with Jesus in God's will. I don't know about you, but I think that's one heck of a deal because you didn't do anything to become a child of God except believe that Jesus is the Christ and that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins of anybody in all of mankind who's willing to accept it as being true. So he says, and, and the beauty of that is, a lot of people don't get this just because you have to do a little research to, to, to dig it out, under Roman law, and everybody was under Roman law at the time, under Roman law, once you were adopted into a family, and, and a lot of people were adopted. Nero was adopted, for instance, was an adopted child. 
I bet they were sorry they did it, but anyway. He, he was a, an adopted. Under Roman law, once you had completed the adoption process, you could not be unadopted. You then became a full member of the family that adopted you, and everything in the will, unless you, if you weren't, the oldest child got, you know, half everything, and then the rest of it was split among the other children. But you got your fair share, even if you were adopted. Now, the kicker of this is, even under Roman law, the father couldn't adopt you, but he could kill you. <laughs> we need to get that reinstituted. You know, then he uses a legal term to illustrate. He says, because, and he, he actually copies this from Habakkuk in the Old Testament. He says, you're justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. You're justified by faith. Justification is a legal term that means that justice has been done in that the price for sin has been paid. And therefore, even though you didn't have the money to pay for it, it's been paid and now you're free. So he uses this legal term to further illustrate and emphasize the value of the gospel as compared to the law of Moses. Then he uses the term that is kind of implied in what we... He says, now then, that you're an adopted and, and, and in God's will, you're a child of God. And that's really a neat way to think of yourself. I'm a child of the living God. I belong to his family. And he made it possible, not by my human efforts, but because of his grace and mercy, he has given to me the free gift of salvation because I believe the message that Jesus is the Christ. And what he did on the cross, that he was raised from the dead and lives eternally. And if I put my faith in him, I can too. That's the good news. That's why it's called good news. Well, there, there are others. He, he talk, and he uses the term in another instance, freedom. I've, I like to believe and have promoted this through the years. I, I really believe that other than your salvation... Freedom may be the greatest gift that mankind can have. And it, it bothers me when I look in our culture today when our freedom as individuals is being eroded and taken over by government authority. That's the reason I'm not a big fan of big government. And I'll be honest with you, I believe in, in term limits because... The one thing Trump got right probably was there's a swamp over in Washington needs to be drained. Well, you needed a little bit of politics to make it. If you're if if you don't agree with me to upset you, I'd rather I want you to believe here, staying awake. I mean, leave here, staying awake anyway. Now, so look at your outline here for a few minutes. By the way, the New Testament actually says this: if you're free in Christ. You're free. Use a northern Kentucky term or eastern Kentucky term. And you, you don't ever say, indeed, that's the truth. The word is in, in, indeedy. Yes, indeedy, that's a fact. A little linguistic help there for those of you who are Yankees and don't understand real talk. Yes, indeedy, that's the truth. If you, he's, that's what the scripture says. If you're free in Christ, you're free indeed. You know what you're free to do? To follow Jesus. You're free to follow him. And anybody tries to stop that, I feel sorry for him. Now, here's the problem. <coughs> Excuse me. 
guys. The time's getting away from me here. I'm not going to get to do all I want to do. Uh, let's look at this and see if I can cut some corners and get where I need to go. All right. You need to, let's do it this way. I was raised in a Christian church. A Christian church, Church of Christ, belonged to what was called the Restoration Movement. And the Restoration Movement was the, uh, started uh, on the frontier, as a, and, and the leaders of the Restoration Movement were uh, highly educated men who believed in a millennial theory called, called post-millennialism. Uh, that'll make sense now. This, this, this is not over your head, and if it is, just raise your head a little. You'll get it. Postmillennialism believed that if the churches united and worked with the government, they could create the kingdom of God here on earth. And when the kingdom of God was created here on earth, then Christ would come and rule for a thousand years. You see, it's called post-millennialism because it says the millennium will come after the kingdom of God is established. That's why it's called post-millennialism. And, uh, and, and you all know that this is true, even though you may have never heard it in these terms. World War I was called, in all the history books, the war to end all wars. Because the kingdom of God was coming as the government and, and uh, uh, even the president of the United States at that time during the First World War believed that. And he was, the ex, he was really highly educated, first probably uh, cosmopolitan president we ever had who would, had been the president of Princeton University. Second World War come, came along and just shot that all to pieces. And then the, then, then the pendulum swung to what's called premillennialism, and it became very popular under the preaching of guys like Billy Graham. And it says that the world's going to hell on a handcart, and when it gets so bad, God will just pull the church out and tramp on everybody, and da 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 da. That's a whole different. And people, they, they like to fight over that stuff. Now, it's a waste of time, it's a silly fight. You have your opinion, I have mine. It has nothing to do with salvation anyway. Just something to fuss about. Christians would rather fuss than eat when they're hungry. And so, but the point, reason I brought that up is because that early bunch of people who formed the Campbells, the Stones, the others, some of whom you have heard of, some of you have, came up with some really neat little suggestions for the unity of the body of Christ because in the New Testament, there's only one thing that Jesus prayed any link for to happen. And in the 15th, 16th, and 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, John records Jesus' lengthy prayer there that really focused it on just one thing. And it was this, that the followers of Jesus would be unified. When you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. If you're a Jew, you're baptized into Christ. If you are a Gentile, you're baptized into Christ. And therefore, if you're in Christ, you're one. 
because Christ is only one. You see, unity of the and and if and if the early church hadn't resolved the problem of trying to get everybody to circumcise, you'd had a Jewish church and you'd had a Gentile church, and the church and the body of Christ is split. And the apostle Paul just hated that thought. He actually, in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, refers to the church as the bride of Christ, and the splitting of the bride of Christ would be comparable to rape. I mean, he's using some strong language here to say, you don't do this. We're one in Jesus Christ. And the early, in the 1800s, the church was, was, you know, being approached everywhere. Come together, come together. I had dreamed all of my 50 years being here that the day would come when the churches in town would come together, go down to the, uh, to the stadium and, and just be one and have a monthly worship service together. And, and if we could ever do that, the dope de- dealers and the prostitutes and the others would leave town because business would be so bad. But I don't think I'm going to live to see it happen. But the unity of the body of Christ was something Jesus prayed for, O Father, that they might be one as you and I are one. This early bunch of believers had some really neat things, and I'm going to have them thrown up here for you to see, because, and, I, and I, I'm going to, I got them before me here. Here's what they said. In order to have unity in the body of Christ, <coughs> you have to have a single authority. You can have only one book, no book but the Bible. That's what they said. No book but the Bible. Throw it up there. No book but... Secondly, no creed but Christ. Because up until that time, the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church and the Methodist Church, every time they got together, they said the Apostles' Creed. Now, it's not a bad thing. But they're saying, get rid of anything other than the Bible as a central authority for for the faith and works of the body of Christ. No book but the Bible, no creed but Christ. And, then, and, and they had some other really neat things that they said. They said, in essentials, unity. Now you can argue over what the essentials were. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. That love thing needs to be circled because we're coming back to it in just a second. And lastly, and an old friend of mine, he's dead now, wrote a book. And he entitled the book, Christians only. Then instead of being known as Methodists and Episcopalians and Catholics and da-da-da-da-da, we just all be Christians and let it go at that. And the word, and, and, and when we named our church here, C-H-R-I-S-T apostrophe S, which means belonging to Christ, and an, and an apostrophe S linguistically and an I-A-N ending are exactly the same, both meaning belonging to Christ. It's his church. It's not ours. And he's the head of the church. And he's everything to the church. Because he bought it and paid for it. And so, these were, these were the terms that they were using. And it was smashingly successful. And right now, the churches that believe that are the second fastest growing churches in the United States. The Mormons are still faster than anybody. Mormons are growing at about 18% and a year, and these, these churches that are committed to that particular concept of the unifying of the body of Christ are growing at about 16%, and most of the major denominations are dying. Now, I think it's important that you understand 
how important the New Testament talks about unity of the body of Christ. And anything short of that is a grievous sin, according to the New Testament. And I, I think it's important that we realize, my mother, I grew up in, in my teenage years at the, at the Christian church at Germantown, Kentucky. And our preacher came out of a school in Cincinnati at the time they called it Cincinnati Bible College, and, uh, or seminary rather, CBS. And his name was uh, Brother Detro, Louis Detro. He eventually left and went to Columbus and started a church up there, and then he became a college president at Great Lakes Bible College, Louis Detro. And he was, real, he was really a fireball. I mean, he just... And, 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 and on the first Sunday of the month, he'd, he'd badmouth the Methodists. Second Sunday of the month, he, baptized, he, he badmouthed the Baptists because there are only other two churches in town. And on the third one, he hit the Catholics. On the fourth Sunday, I don't know who it was, but Mother would, it was somebody. He just cooked them all. And, and Mother would say, and we'd get in the car, and we'd go home, and Mother would say, Now, boys, there are just three of us boys. She said, Brother Detro's a good man, and he believes the Bible, and he preaches the, that Jesus is the Messiah. But never forget this. We're just Christians, but we're not the only Christians. The shingle on the door, this means somebody can write, and that somebody's made a few bucks making a sign. We're just Christians. And you know what? It's still a good thing to believe and to practice. Not the only Christians, just Christians. And here's the thing. You know, I said, and, and that thing, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and the last one is in all things, love. Now, the reason that becomes very important is here in your, in your text that we were reading. When the Apostle Paul gets through, he says, you know, circumcision doesn't mean anything. Non-circumcision doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is love. In that early church and where we belong, we had what we call the five-finger exercise. Faith, repentance, confession, baptism, God the living. That made it kind of easy for those of us who had trouble reading and writing. And, 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 and in Bracken County, where my mom and dad grew up, when mother was 18 years old, she started teaching because then you'd just take a, a, a test called a normal test and you could start teaching if you passed it. And she started teaching before she went to college. And, and, uh, and she said at that particular time, 80% of the people in Bracken County could neither read nor write. Now, she was born in 1906. And that was in the mid-20s. But the, so they developed little things that people could remember. That's why they had that five-finger exercise. But let me tell you something. Even though all of those things are important, faith is believing the message that Jesus is the Christ and putting our confidence in what he's done on the cross to get us to heaven. And I'm having to fly through this because it's quitting time and I'm going to go over. And if you, if you have to go to the bathroom, hold it tight until we get through and then you can use them. But here we go. Let me, and so we were told to repent of our sins and confess. And we, had to, we had to stand before people and, and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I've accepted him as my personal Savior. And I still think it's a good thing because confession is made with the mouth, Paul said, of what you believe in your heart. 
you repent of your sins, and then you're buried in baptism, death, burial, and resurrection. But let me tell you something. The motive for repentance and confession and baptism and godly living has to be love of God for what he's done for us because it's his goodness that leads us to repentance, the Bible says. But the problem we have, you see, in too many instances is once they're baptized and they're a new babe in Jesus Christ, that's as far as it goes. And too many churches are just, they, they make the church building the place for evangelism when the church was always meant a place where we build up and strengthen the believers so they can go out to where the sinners are and lead them to Christ and then bring them in and do it here. The, the work of evangelism should be done out there and the edification and building up and strengthening in the body of Christ should be in here. That's what we get together for. So, and, 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 you know, we don't bring a baby home from the hospital and set it on the, on the counter and say, okay, baby, you're here now, you're on your own. No, we nurture that baby and take care of it and make a big deal out of it. You know, my first wife is now a great-grandma. I don't know anybody that old, but anyway, that's the case. And, 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 and she's been whining and, and chomping at the bit and trying to, I got to see that great. And so tomorrow, or yeah, tomorrow, I don't know if she paid them off or what, but they're bringing that thing down here and we got to look at it and, you know. But that's important. Really, it is. But we shouldn't do Christians that way either. Okay, they're a newborn babe in Christ and say, okay, you're on your own now. No. We need to encourage them and build them up and strengthen them and help them study the Word until, they, until what? Until Christ is formed in them. That's what he says. The Apostle Paul says, I've, got, I've grown in Christ to the extent that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You weren't saved just to get you to heaven. You were saved so that you could be, grow up in Jesus Christ and so that your life, as you live it, each day would reflect Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. That's why you're saved. You're to show the world who Jesus is by the life that you live. Nothing short of that. The problem is, how in the heck can you do that? How, how, do, how do I get there? I'm going to close with this. I want to show you what the Bible says is the way you evaluate yourself so that you can get there to the place where you're not bragging, you're stating facts and saying, for me to live is Christ. When you, when you walk down the street and saying, there goes Joe Blow, you know, he's a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, there, but there goes a godly man. There goes a godly woman. That's the objective. That's what we're pressing toward. Nothing short of that. That's not just for preachers or clergy. That's for the body of Christ to reflect to the world what Israel failed to do. That's show them who our God is by the life that we live. I was a young preacher in Illinois at Prairie Green Church of Christ. And there was a guy in that church who was an elder in our church named, believe it or not, Bishop McMurray. Perfect name for an elder. Word bishop, shepherd, Elder, all the same word in the Bible, according to whether you spoke Greek or English or something else. He set me down and he said, Now, Brother Scott, you work harder than anybody we've ever had here. And our church was growing and all that good stuff. But he said, You need to take a little time off every once in a while for yourself and your spiritual growth. He was trying to help me. I thought it was doing good. He said, You know what I do every day? And this is here in the, in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. 
He said, what I do every day, and my wife does the same thing. He said, do you remember when you was a kid and you'd back up next to the, the door and you'd put a, something on your head and you'd take a pencil and mark to see how you were growing? And you'd cheat a little bit because you wanted to be taller than you were? He said, you need to do, take the same approach in your spiritual life. Because he said, if you'll turn over here to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, and you will use these as standards. I'd, w- I'd really like to have yardsticks that we'd hand out with these, with these terms on them. Here's what he says. Now, this is the Apostle Paul telling the church, here's how you grow to be like Jesus. Here's how you evaluate yourself to see where you are in that growth process. Here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love and then joy, then peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you know what these things are? These are the character qualities of Jesus. And when you start applying them to your life, and, and it's a growth process. It doesn't happen just by snapping your fingers. It is a commitment to the process, to the, to the objective. I'm going to grow in Christ. I'm going to become so much like him that when people look at me, instead of saying, there goes Scott Rawlings, they'll say, there goes a man of God. That's our objective as believers in Jesus Christ and nothing short of that. And so I encourage you to look at this fifth chapter because the Holy Spirit was put in your life not just to get you to heaven. That's a residual benefit. He put, the Holy Spirit was put into your life in order to help you grow and become like Jesus. That's what he wants you and me to be. And what it does, you see, is it breaks down all of the differences. I'll close with this, and I keep telling you that. They're going to be, the, the teachers of the kids back there, they're going to kill me. So you all have to protect me for going over for a few minutes. But let me, let me tell you, here's what happens. In our church here, one of my closest friends is Gary Harrison. He's gone to Israel with me. He's gone to Uganda with me, he and his sweet wife. He lucked out there. Anyway, Gary is a flag-waving Democrat. And just to aggravate him, I'm a flag-waving Republican. (laughs) Gary is a black man. I'm lily white. Gary, he's a, you know, he he said to me the other day, because we aggravate each other and enjoy it, he said, I can't wait, I can't wait till we get... Uh, control of the Congress and the House and the Senate. I said, eat your heart out, son. We're going to trump you. You know. <laughs> anyway, we laugh about and, and And the reason we can do that and actually enjoy the process is because we got something in common. We both love Jesus, and therefore we love each other. And you see... Because he knows how strongly I feel about this. I believe that as long as there are black churches and white churches, we're telling the world that we're bigots. We're one in Jesus Christ. Color means nothing. Your political affiliation is temporary because when you get to heaven, there ain't going to be either of them. We're one in Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that Gary and I have this in common. We believe that Jesus died on a cross, paid for our sins, and that he was 
put in a barred man's tomb and that by the power of God he was raised from the dead and that same Holy Spirit lives in us. And that's the good news. Other good news is I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, dismiss this group before I get crucified by the Sunday school teachers. Let us go in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Get out of here. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.